Everybody dies, don't they? Everybody come back, don't they? Isn't that so? You tried to get into the locked room today, didn't you? You tried. How do the dead come back, mother? What's the secret? The Experiment by M. R. James, a New Year's Eve ghost story. The Reverend Dr. Hall was in his study making up the entries for the year in a parish register, it being his custom to note baptisms, weddings and burials in a paper book as they occurred, and in the last days of December to write them out fairly in the vellum book that was kept in the parish chest. To him entered his housekeeper in evident agitation. Oh, sir, said she, whatever do you think? The poor squire is gone. The squire? Squire Bowles? What are you talking about, woman? Why, only yesterday. Yes, I know, sir, but it's the truth. Wickham, the clerk just left word on his way down to toll the bell. You'll hear it yourself in a minute. There now, just listen. Sure enough, the sound broke on the still night. Did you hear any word of the sickness having come this way at all? There's nothing said in Norwich. It seems so sudden. No, indeed, sir, no such thing. Just caught away with a choking in his throat, Wickham says. It do make one feel, well, I'm sure I had to set down as much as a minute or more. I came over that queer when I heard the words, and by what I could understand, they'll be asking for the burial very quick. The son can't bear the thought of the old corpse laying in the house, and yes, well... I must find out from Madame Bowles herself or Mr. Joseph. Get me my cloak, will you? Ah, and could you let Wickham know that I desire to see him when the tolling's over? He hurried off. In an hour's time he was back and found Wickham waiting for him. There is work for you, Wickham, he said as he threw off his cloak, and not over much time to do it in. Yes, sir, said Wickham. The vault to be opened, be sure... No, no, that's not the message I have. The poor squire, they tell me, charged them before now not to lay him in the chancel. It was to be an earth grave in the yard, on the north side. He stopped at an inarticulate exclamation from the clerk. Well, he said. I ask pardon, sir, said Wickham in a shocked voice, but did I understand you right? No vault, you say? And on the north side? Why, the poor gentleman must have been wandering. Yes, it does seem strange to me too, said Dr. Hall, but no, Mr. Joseph tells me it was his father's, I should say stepfather's, clear wish, expressed more than once, and when he was in good health, clean earth and open air. You know, of course, that the poor squire had his fancies, though he never spoke of this one to me, and there's another thing, Wickham, no coffin. Oh dear, dear sir, said Wickham, yet more shocked. Oh, but that'll make sad talk, that will, and what a disappointment for Mr. Wright too. I know he'd looked out some beautiful wood for the squire and had it by him years past. Well, well, perhaps the family will make it up to right in some way, said the rector rather impatiently. But what you have to do is get the grave dug and all the things in a readiness. Torches from right, you must not forget, by ten o'clock tomorrow night. I don't doubt, but there'll be somewhat coming to you for your pains and hurry. Very well, sir, if those be the orders, I must do my best to carry them out. And should I call in on my way down and send the women up to the hall to lay out the body, sir? No, that, I think, I'm sure was not spoken of. Mr. Joseph will send, no doubt, if they are needed. No, you have enough without that. Good night, Wickham. I was making up the registers when this doleful news came in. Little had I thought to add such an entry to them as I must now. 
All things had been done in decent order. The torch-lighted cortege had passed from the hall through the park, up the Lime Avenue to the top of the knoll on which the church stood. All the village had been there, and such neighbours as could be warned in the few hours available. There was no great surprise at the hurry. Formalities of law there were none then, and no one blamed the stricken widow for hastening to lay her dead to rest. Nor did anyone look to see her following in the funeral train. Her son Joseph, only issue of her first marriage with a Calvert of Yorkshire, was the chief mourner. There were indeed no kinsfolk on Squire Bowles's side who could have been bidden. The will, executed at the time of the squire's second marriage, left everything to the widow. And what was everything? Land, house, furniture, pictures, plates were all obvious. But there should have been accumulations in coin, and beyond a few hundreds in the hands of agents, honest men and no embezzlers, cash, there was none. Yet Francis Bowles had for years received good rents and paid little out. Nor was he a reputed miser. He kept a good table, and money was always forthcoming for the moderate spendings of his wife and stepson. Joseph Calvert had been maintained ungrudgingly at school and college. What then had he done with it all? No ransacking of the house brought any secret hoard to light. No servant, old or young, had any tale to tell of meeting the squire in unexpected places at strange hours. No, Madame Bowles and her son were fairly nonplussed. As they sat one evening in the parlour discussing the problem for the twentieth time, "'You have been at his books and papers, Joseph, again today, haven't you?' "'Yes, mother, and no forwarder.' "'What was it he would be writing as, and why was he always sending letters to Mr. Fowler at Gloucester?' "'Why, you know he had a maggot about the middle state of the soul. "'It was over that he and the other were always busy. "'The last thing he wrote would be a letter that he never finished. "'I'll fetch it. "'Yes, the same song over again. "'Honoured friend, I make some slow advance in our studies, "'but I know not well how far to trust our authors. "'Here is one lately come my way. "'He will have it for a time after death. "'The soul is under the control of certain spirits, "'as Raphael and another whom I doubtfully read as Nares.' but still so near to this state of life that on prayer to them he may be free to come and disclose matters to the living. Come indeed, he must, if he be rightly called, the manner of which is set forth in an experiment. But having come and once opened his mouth, it may chance that his summoner shall see and hear more than of the hid treasure which it is likely he bargained for, since the experiment puts this at the forefront of things to be inquired. But the eftest way is to send you the whole which herewith I do, copied from a book of recipes which I had of good Bishop Moore. Here Joseph stopped and made no comment, gazing at the paper. For more than a minute nothing was said. Then Madame Bowles, drawing her needle through her work and looking at it, coughed and said, There was no more written? No, nothing, mother. No? Well, it's strange stuff. Did you ever meet this Mr. Fowler? Yes, it might be once or twice in Oxford. A civil gentleman enough. Now I think of it, said she, it would be right to acquaint him with with what has happened. They were close friends. Yes, Joseph, you should do that. You will know what should be said. The letter is his, after all. You're in the right, mother, and I'll not delay it. And forthwith he sat down to write. From Norfolk to Gloucester was no quick transit, but a letter went, and a larger packet came in answer, and there were more evening talks in the panelled parlour at the hall. At the close of one, these words were said, "'Tonight, then, if you are certain of yourself, go round by the field path. Aye, and here is a cloth will serve. What cloth is that, mother? A napkin? 
yes, of a kind, what matter? So he went out by the way of the garden, and she stood in the door, musing, with her hand on her mouth. Then the hand dropped, and she said half aloud, If only I had not been so hurried. But it was the face cloth, sure enough. It was a very dark night, and the spring wind blew loud over the black fields, loud enough to drown all sounds of shouting or calling. If calling there was, there was no voice, nor any that answered, nor any that regarded, yet. Next morning, Joseph's mother was early in his chamber. Give me the cloth, she said. The maids must not find it, and tell me, tell me, tell me, quick. Joseph, seated on the side of the bed with his head in his hands, looked up at her with bloodshot eyes. We have opened his mouth, he said. Why in God's name did you leave his face bare? How could I help it? You know how I was hurried that day. But do you mean that you saw it? Joseph only groaned and sunk his head in his hands again. Then, in a low voice, he said you should see it too. With a dreadful gasp, she clutched at the bedpost and clung to it. Oh, but he's angry, Joseph went on. He was only biding his time, I'm sure. The words were scarce out of my mouth when I heard, like the snarl of a dog in under there. Got up and paced the room. And what can we do? He's free, and I daren't meet him. I daren't take the drink and go where he is. I daren't lie there another night. Oh, why did you do it? We could have waited. Hush, said his mother. Her lips were dry. It was you, you know it as much as I. Besides, what's use in talking? Listen to me. Tis but six o'clock. There's money to cross the water such as they can't follow. Yarmouth's not so far, and most night boats sail for Holland, I've heard. See you to the horses. I can be ready. Joseph stared at her. What will they say here? What? Why, cannot you tell the parson we have wind of property lying in Amsterdam, which we must claim or lose? Go, go, if you're not man enough for that, lie here again tonight. He shivered and went. That evening, after dark, a boatman lumbered into an inn on Yarmouth Quay, where a man and woman sat with saddlebags on the floor by them. Ready are you, mistress and gentlemen, he said. She sails before the hour, and my other passenger, he's waiting on the quay. Be there all your baggage? And he picked up the bags. Yes, we travel light, said Joseph. And you have more company bound for Holland? Just the one, said the boatman. And he seemed to travel lighter yet. Do you know him? said Madame Bowles. She laid her hand on Joseph's arm, and they both paused in the doorway. Why no, but for all he's hooded, I'd know him again fast enough. He have such a curious way of speaking. And I doubt you'll find he know you by what he said. Go, you. And fetch him out, he say, and I'll wait on them here, he say, and sure enough, he's a-coming this way now. Poisoning of a husband was petty treason then, and women guilty of it were strangled at the stake and burnt. The assize records of Norwich tell of a woman so dealt with, and of her son hanged thereafter, convict on their own confession, made before the rector of their parish, the name of which I withhold, for there is still hid treasure to be found there. Bishop Moore's Book of Recipes is now in the University Library at Cambridge, marked DD 1145, and on the leaf numbered 144, this is written. An experiment most oft proved true, to find out treasure hidden in the ground, theft, manslaughter, or any other thing. Go to the grave of a dead man and three times 
call him by his name at the head of the grave and say, Thou, name, 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 I conjure thee, I require thee, and I charge thee by the Christendom that thou takest leave of the Lord Raphael and Nares, and then askest leave this night to come and tell me truly of the treasure that lieth hid in such a place. Then take of the earth of the grave at the dead body's head, and knit it in a linen cloth, and put it under thy right ear, and sleep thereupon. And wheresoever thou liest or sleepest, that night he will come and tell thee truly, in waking or sleeping. Everybody dies, don't they? Everybody come back, don't they? Isn't that so? You tried to get into the locked drawer today, didn't you? You tried. How do the dead come back, Mother? What's the secret? The experiment by M. R. James is the second story we have read on the classic ghost story podcast by Montague Rhodes James, or Monty, as his friends called him. James is considered the master of the English ghost story and he's credited with modernising the form by abandoning all the old Gothic features, uh, so we're unlikely to find any ruined castles or monasteries. However, we do find plenty of English Paris churches, and I think you can conceive of the Gothic habitation. I talk about this in an article I've written on the website um, as being the equivalent of the Gothic castle. James was an academic and he worked at Cambridge University and later at Eton College. And I think later on he went back to Cambridge. Um, He clearly knows, he's clearly used to looking through old texts and he uses this motif time after time in his stories. But he also knows a fair bit about demonology and um, necromancy. And this, the recipe that we get at the end looks like a, a fairly authentic pastiche, if you can have such a thing, of a proper sort of 16th, 17th century English necromancy text. And I can imagine Edward Kelly, old uh, Dr. John Dee's pal, um, reading this out in a graveyard to try and raise the dead and make some money doing it. So it isn't considered one of the best of James's stories, but I liked it. I thought it was good. It's quite short. It's it's very, again, very well constructed. We have to get to the very end before we understand everything. And what I mean by that is the first thing that happens is a squire dies. I didn't suspect at first time of reading that it was, in fact, it was due to them being poisoned, which is nearly the last thing we find out. Um, and then we have the recipe at the very end. And when we hear the recipe, we finally understand why that he goes with the cloth and lies on it in the graveyard so he can hear the dead and, in fact, bring them to life. So, um, and there are various things dropped, like it's the stepson, he's very generous with him, that are clearly there to to uh, set it up for the ending. You know, we realise then, aha, that makes perfect sense. But, of course, as we're going through, we don't necessarily grasp the importance of each little fact that he drops. So that's quite nice. I quite like the the last scene waiting for the boat to Holland at night. You could almost be a painting. And there's this lumbering, dark-clad, hooded 
revenant, accusing figure with the rasping voice. And honestly, it's just like the Mozart opera, isn't it? Don Giovanni. I won't sing the rest. For various reasons. One is I don't know it. Um, oh, the second is I can't sing. So anyway, there we are. So that was, the, and I picked this story particularly because it's called a New Year's Eve story. Now, there are not many ghost stories, let me tell you, who's been looking that are set on New Year's Eve. So I picked this one because it is. Um, but that's about all that it has to do with New Year. Not like the time machine, you know. The time machine, H.G. Wells, I'm going off on a tangent now, is set, it starts at New Year's Eve, doesn't it? And it goes through time, so it makes a lot of sense for it to be on New Year's Eve. I suppose the only sense this is, is it's the ending of the year and ending of an epoch, but I don't know why it's set at New Year's Eve. But it gave us a New Year's Eve story. So there'll be more stuff coming in January. I've actually been looking out for some summer ghost stories. I've got one in mind, but I'll have to wait until the weather's better. In the meantime, I've got a few. I've got some more M.R. James I want to do, but I don't. I've got some Oliver Onions as well. Shining Fair One, Beckoning Fair One, sorry. I always call it the Shining Fair One. It's his most famous story, but it's too long. Um, so I'm going to do another by Oliver Onions. And there's loads of writers that we haven't even touched yet. So I'm loath to do a lot of James. Even though he's good, I will do the Mezzo Tint because that's a very good story. But... As to when, who knows? Okay, I've got another cu cup of coffee bought for me by Gabby, so thanks again for that. Very much appreciated. Let me know that you like what I'm doing. Anyway, Happy New Year. Enjoy yourselves. Don't get too drunk. 